Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Isaac Bennett, and he is the founder of You Are, a people brand. And he previously served as vice president of sales for Morton Industries and has an extensive background in international real estate, equity, and alternative asset investments. And he's traveled over to over 50 countries and done business in over 100. And I'm going to mention this also, but he loves baseball music and spending time with his (laughs) wife, Blake. (laughs) So Isaac, thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you doing? Eileen, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. So I wanted to start off really quick. I want to get into a little bit of your background, but in your background, can you also share with us the concept behind your name of your brand, You Are? Because we were having this conversation earlier and I just thought it was a fantastic way. And I told you that now I'm going to be associating it every time (laughs) I say those words with whenever I talk about it with other people. So can you start off with that? Yeah, it's like a little bit like when you go buy a Honda Civic and you'd never seen one before. And then you get on the road and you see every other car is a Honda Civic, you know? So (laughs) we're trying to corner the market on exhortation of people, I guess. Thank you for asking about that because it's really near and dear to my heart, to be honest. You are came out as just a result of, I found that whenever I was exhorting someone and the, the, um, sort of the situation that I always use is my Colin, my, my niece Collins, she's five. And I would always say, Collins, you are beautiful. And she is, she is very beautiful. Or I would tell my nephew, I'd say, Wilder, you are so great at baseball. And I just found myself saying you are whenever I was trying to lift somebody up, which you know, we're not always lifting somebody up. Sometimes we're tearing people down. And we really wanted to focus on being a people brand and being a company that brought people up and exhorted them, whether they were investing with us or working alongside us or for us. And so that's where you are came from, which was that it's really hard to exhort somebody without saying you are first. Yes. No, I I love that because like you said, as you're bringing people up, you are saying, well, I'm saying no, you are, (laughs) (laughs) you You are bringing people up. (laughs) So yes, I will not be able to get your brand out of my head every single time I say you are now. (laughs) That's the goal. Yes. Good. So Isaac, how did you start with this company and why did you decide to start this brand and this company? Well, came up with the name and the idea about four years ago. My wife and I had been doing a lot of different things in kind of our 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. bucket of hours and really just felt like uh, we were called to give it our best time and do everything that we could to impact people in the various lanes in which that we were already working in many cases. And it took me to be honest, it took me over two years, really more like three years to sort of gain the temerity to actually go do it and step out on that limb and overcome my addiction to my W-2 paycheck and everything else. And we're about 10 months into doing it full time. And 
I'm probably unemployable at this point. So I think the ships are probably burned. But yeah, it was a multi-year sort of thought process and trying to tweak the edges and everything else to make it a refined product before we started. And then we realized that there's once you start business, there's nothing refined about it. It's just all out every day. So I encourage everyone to do it. And I will add a disclaimer that it's absolutely brutal at times. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your focus with UR? So you are is the prefix to all of our businesses. It's a brand holding company really is what it is. And we have four agencies, three of which are active right now. We have UR Well, which is health and wellness. We have UR Home, which is the realty business. My wife heads up. We have UR Abundant, which is our alternative asset syndication business, which is what we're talking about today. We have UR Secure, which is a cybersecurity business. And finally, and probably most importantly, we have You Are Good, which is uh, purely philanthropic in nature. And we as an organization donate 20% of our net income to philanthropic and missional organizations around the world. So share with us a little bit, if you can, your transition from your corporate life into full-time entrepreneurship and how that has shaped what you are doing today. Man, if I'm completely honest, I... You know, I'd worked in the corporate setting for 16 years and over 16 years. And while being created to be very entrepreneurial in nature, I had really fallen into the well-worn path and it had become something of an addiction, like I mentioned earlier. And transitioning into it, I was really excited. And then a week or two into it, I both got COVID and had pretty much a severe panic anxiety attack uh, for a solid week straight to where I was barely functioning. So I'd never had one in my life. And it was it what just drove the panic attack. Um, I think it was withdrawal. I think it was we were set up, we'd created a foundation to do this. And we had, you know, we had money in the bank to get it going. And I think it was just like the stark reality that there would not be another paycheck coming. And that basically, and this might have even been more now that I think about it, I hadn't really thought about it. But that we had to just go drum up opportunity. We were starting from zero. We had to drum up a bunch of opportunity. And that was like incredibly startling in those early days. It, normally, I would get to work and I'd have 200 emails. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, I've got to make 30 calls today. I have 200 emails. I've got seven meetings. You know, it was always crazy. And then it's like empty schedule. Go create something. And that was both incredibly exciting and also just totally unsettling. And, you know, I had incredible anxiety for for a few weeks there. And it's much better now. I'm more used to it, but there are days. <laughs> <laughs> because it's you've given the control up or you had there was that control that you had to obtain and you had to figure out and plan out your entire day where before the day was planned out for you. Yes. It was a total and utter loss of what I thought I was controlling in my life, which was both my schedule, my work, my finances. And I had to just completely give up control and recognize that like, I was made to do this and I wasn't in control anymore. How did you get over that anxiety, that fear as you were starting to build up? Honestly, a ton of prayer. And I think the recognition that this was something I had to break, that it was a, a really negative pattern in my life of believing I was in control and believing that, for lack of a better term, success was something that I was controlling and creating. And I think it was, frankly, it felt so much like withdrawal and breaking an addiction that the only thing I can tell you is time and prayer. That was it. 
It's interesting when you say success, everybody kind of thinks about success a little bit differently. They have find success in different ways. And for you personally, you know, what did success mean to you before you left your W-2 job and before you started your entrepreneurship journey? Before I left, I think it was almost entirely, almost totally titles and financial success. You know, I thought about impact, I thought about legacy, but it was more sort of an extrinsic thing, maybe tangential. And that has shifted so much. I think part of why we knew we were called into this is because we knew that we were supposed to to impact people and do everything that we could in our power to do that. And so I think that was the major shift is that when you suddenly don't have a title and you suddenly don't have any money, it has to become about something else and it has to become about something more. And that's really where the impact and helping other people achieve their goals, whether it's health, whether it's financial improvement, you know, whatever that may look like, is really what it became for us. And so I can tell you that the way I think about impact today or success, to your point, is it's 180 degrees from what it was even a year ago. And that has been an enormous gift as part of this. One of the things that you'd mentioned earlier was you were part of that fear was you had to go look for opportunities. You had to create opportunities for yourself. How did you start to build up that funnel so that opportunities were coming your way and that you were able to take on those opportunities and really hone in on them and build upon it? Yeah, it's a secret, actually. You know, <laughs> Can you share you know, with us? <laughs> you know what that secret is? Is I had to pick up the phone and I had to pick up the phone a lot. And I think that is the cold, hard truth that a lot of people starting out don't want to realize. It's it's not about a curated Instagram feed or it's not about the next brilliant idea. Always, sometimes maybe it is. I'm not smart enough to have one. It is about picking up the phone and asking people for what you need and for a favor. And it is interesting in that one of the ways you can endear somebody to yourself the most, not in a manipulative way, but is actually by asking them for a favor. And you know, when you're just starting out and you've got to create some opportunity, it's, it's really probably picking up the phone and calling every single person that you know and saying, here's what I'm doing. Would you mind helping me? And it is amazing how much people will come out and support you and help you when you just pick up the phone. How did you know where to start and who did you start with within your network that as you were looking to create these opportunities and find help? I didn't know. I didn't know. I just was like, I probably need to ask every single person that I know. I mean, I'd been investing in real estate for a long time and we'd done we'd done some international development and stuff like that. So I have a, a really large Rolodex. The Rolodex doesn't exist. It's all on my phone. But I know a lot of people... And it was maybe really... the younger maybe the younger people don't might not know what the Rolodex <laughs> was. But... You, can, you can Google it. And, yeah, <laughs> yes. see what that is. Yeah. Ouch! Thanks for reminding me. I'm not so young. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how old you are. You look like you're quite a bit younger than me. But I, I know what a Rolodex is. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it was all just being like, okay, I need to call people who are sort of related to this and who might be willing to help and just start. Moving the inertia from the inertia where it stopped to the inertia where it's rolling. So hopefully I can keep it rolling from there. On the real estate side of things, um, where did you decide to mark your territory to look and then start to investing and start to build it up in the beginning? Yeah, it's a really good, really good question. I mean, I've been investing in real estate for uh, 12 years now, and I just started around where I lived, which is in Peoria. And 
as we went forward, we recognized that we probably wanted a bit of a different plan, which is what ended up taking us to Belize and elsewhere. But I think that the biggest portion of our real estate journey and, and our asset journey in general is just the recognition that what we do best is due diligence and also just working and connecting with investors to find what they might need for their for their portfolios. And so that's really what made us transition into this model of saying, hey, let us connect you in a fund with a deal and an operator that makes sense for you, which is really where we've gone lately. And how did you, as you were starting up, did you know that this is where you were planning to build up the real estate side of things? Is this is where your focus was? Or was it like a gradual development over time? It's definitely gradual. I mean, every deal that we'd ever done, we were the largest shareholder and the primary operator. And we just found, and I've told this story in other podcasts as well, but we just found that we were probably average at best operators. And ultimately, we knew how to underwrite and do due diligence. So we felt like offering a service where we said, look, we'll do the due diligence for you for free. We'll set up a fund for free. We won't charge you any fees. We'll just find you the best deal for you. We felt like that was what we could offer people that had a huge value add that they probably either didn't have time or maybe the resources to do themselves. So it was gradual. It took a, a decade, over a decade to get there. But so far, we have seen... We've just done a couple deals this way, but we have seen a lot of interest in this. And we just feel like that's what we were made to do. How do you think the market is going now, especially within the real estate? You've been in this, you know, you've seen a lot of ups and downs over the years that you've been involved with in real estate, but there's a lot of talks now because of how the market has been performing over the last, you know, year or so. Will this continue, this trend continue on, or will there be a potential downfall? There's a lot of questions up in the air about what might potentially happen down the road. Yeah, there is. And I don't really think about real estate as a single market. In fact, I don't think about it as a market at all. You have so many different sub-demographics of, of markets, even just within the real estate sector. And then you have a, basically an infinite number of locales, and you have all these different factors going into it. So it's it's so enormously complex that I'm not sure that you can say you know, this is the cycle. This is where we're at. There are some obvious tops. 2008 was an obvious top in certain things. However, there are areas in the United States that even in 2008, and this almost never gets talked about, there are areas that saw barely any reduction in the value of their properties, barely any reduction in their rents. It doesn't get talked about because those weren't the hot areas going into it. But if you start looking at it, you can recognize that some areas take, for instance, condos on Miami Beach are incredibly volatile and can be bellwethers towards the cyclical nature of what we are actually talking about. So if I look at it, and I'm not a micro expert in every one of these uh, areas and locales, but if I look at it, there are some areas that have gotten really hot that I would be very careful with. You know, people paying two or three caps for vanilla B-class multifamily property, that's probably not going to end well. But there are plenty of other areas where there are still wonderful opportunities in the multifamily space and other spaces as well. So sorry for the super nuanced answer, but I just feel like there is an enormous amount of opportunity out there in this space as well. And I think putting a carte blanche, oh, it's super hot, it's probably going to burst, is never really the right thing to advise people to do. More than anything, it is underwrite conservatively, make sure you've got your checks and balances in place, and then don't let fear don't let fear dictate what you do. It has to be based on your your criterion for buying and you know what you understand the trends in your 
in your local area are? Because we are way too long of an answer, but we are way underserved in housing, way underserved. So the, the cyclical tailwinds are going to be in place for a long time, probably another 10 years at least. So certainly I don't think fear is the right thing to be leading with. Just be careful in your underwriting. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, I think one of the statistics they said was we are so behind in the in providing the housing and there's such a short supply that we would have to build about a million units every year for the next several years to be able to catch up, to be able to provide enough housing for the people, for the population out there right now. Yeah, it's, it's the, the numbers are eye popping when you really look at it. And certainly there are uh, demographic trends that affect that. And, you know, obviously trends between states moving one to the next, but in general, we are way undersupplied. So find a good deal, find a decent pencil, underwrite it conservatively and, and act. So when you talk about the conservatism, right, and the different markets that are not impacted primarily by the, um, right, the high increases in the demands in the market, they're not as affected by the volatility of what's going on in the markets. What are some of those areas that you look for that may not be as highly impacted as maybe some of the hotter states where you know there's a high demand and a lot of competition? Yeah, I mean, I think you just you look at a top ten or top fifteen last ten years rent growth or population growth or something like that, and then just throw them out, and then pretty much everything else falls into that bucket. Um, but if you start looking at some uh, midwestern cities, uh, cities like Columbus, Dayton, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Cincinnati, St. Louis, I think is interesting. There's some cities in smaller cities in Iowa. Certainly some cities in Illinois that virtually every investor will tell you, oh, I want to invest in Illinois. And the reality is that just means that there's more opportunity here and the water is not that cold, guys. <laughs> you can jump in. But areas that may even be flatlining or just slightly growing, but you're seeing massive bottom-up fiscal response and massive bottom-up wage growth, which means apartments are going to do really well. In terms of the conservatism, what are some of the conservative aspects that you you know incorporate into your underwriting as you're looking at and doing your due diligence and underwriting different potential opportunities out there? Yeah, so we break what we do is we break it into two segments. One is operators, and the second is deals. So the first one we have 24 different criteria for operators that we look at, and we have some must-haves, some love-to-haves, and some like-to-haves. And we don't get specifically into what it is because it is kind of our secret sauce, but certainly we are looking for operators that match our values and have an extreme degree of integrity and look at their LPs as partners, look at their LPs as folks that uh, look at deals as the mutual good. On the deal specific side underwriting, we want to see somebody that is views selling as 
an opportunity that the market gives them, not as a business strategy. I don't think selling real estate is a business strategy. There's too much friction in selling property. So we want folks that view these assets as durable, as things that they are buying for this future stream of cash flows that they're buying at the right number. Certainly, we prefer value add if possible. And then a number of other things. Anybody that will underwrite cap rate compression into their uh, pro formas, that's a, an immediate no for us. Anyone that would project rent growth more than a couple of percent or really rent growth at a greater pace than expense growth, which I think is one of the biggest issues you see in underwriting, that's an immediate no. So we're really just looking for someone that can look at this and say, even if we get a cyclical downturn, and even if our assumptions are off by name the percent, we're still going to be okay. We're still going to be able to service this debt and we're still going to enjoy the future stream of cash flows. So we have, I named three, I think, and we have 26 that we look at. So yeah. Since that first moment that you had that panic attack in the very beginning <laughs> to where you are today, has any other doubt or you know trepidation happened to you at all as you've embarked on this entrepreneurship journey? I think a, a, probably a more appropriate one is I'll go find the days where there wasn't doubt. And then I'll let you know which three days of the last 10 months that there wasn't any doubt. <laughs> Because yeah, it's been constant. I mean, it, maybe I'm just like mentally soft or weak or something. It truly, it could be that. But for me, it's pretty much overcoming it every day. And and that could just partially be the, being in the first year of doing it full time, um, or you know, it could be the knock on effects of that anxiety. But it is constant. I think I'm here to tell people like it's okay if you feel that you can work through it. Uh, it doesn't mean you're not supposed to be doing it. You know, It may actually be something you need to lean into and recognize that this is exactly why you're supposed to be doing it. So yeah, it's there every day, Eileen. It's there every day. How do you battle against it? And how do you take a look at it and move forward? I think the only effective method is uh, work. You know, for me anxiety or depression, if you're working, it's hard to continue to feel anxious if you are actually engrossed in, a, in a, a project or on a phone call or doing a Zoom interview or whatever you're doing. So I think just putting your head down and going out there and working and deciding, you know what, I'm going to do due diligence for three straight hours, or I'm going to pick up the phone call brokers and try to find a deal for three straight hours, or you know what, I'm going to prospect for potential investors or partners it's that's what it has been it, the activity when you create activity it is amazing how much your mind shifts and changes from where you were a few hours previously yeah i totally agree because sometimes like you're sitting there and you're thinking about like hey i'm not making any traction or like you can just sit and wallow and just be depressed that you're not getting anywhere you're not seeing those results or like or you can take that energy and focus it onto something else that will get you to your result your goals and then just focus that energy somewhere else because it's really up to us to decide where we're going to put the energy into, like how we're going to approach things. And are we going to let it consume us or are we going to really hone in on that and then like really deep dive into something else that is really going to help us down the road? Isn't it amazingly true though, that it's so hard to be anxious when you're like really working hard? <laughs> it's like, you can be stressed, but that's very different than anxious. Yes. I think also it's because you know that you're making moves and that you're actually taking those steps to get there. The anxiety comes from when there's no movement, when there's no motion at all, ah, you're stagnant. Good. Yes. So if I may uh, ask you a question. Sure. 
you and your husband, you work on significantly sized deals and multifamily. And it's a long buying cycle. It can be a slow process. It can be difficult to see tangible results in a short amount of time. How do you deal with the reality of a lot of these things that we work on taking months or even years to come to fruition and not seeing really any daily progress? How do you deal with the reality of not not seeing the lines that you're mowing? You know what I mean? Where our mindset shifted was when we focused on the things that we get to do instead of we have to do. So we focus on these activities and we think to ourselves, wow, we get to be part of these deals, even though we don't see the fruition of it now, but we're not struggling. We don't need it right away. You know, like we don't need to see the fruits of it yet, but we know we're planting these seeds and we know down the road it's going to come to fruition through our hard work. We're going to, we see the fruits of our labors coming to fruition. And, and that's what drives us because we focus on the being grateful for the opportunities that we're getting, the people that we've been partnering with, and really just focusing on the, we get to be part of these opportunities. We get to be part of this community. Oh, that's such a good answer. Can I go back and just make that my answer? I I should have just answered, (laughs) you know what? In the face of gratitude, fear flees. And that, that's what I want to go back and re-answer now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, thanks. So Isaac, I would love to ask you also, you know, how has real estate impacted your life and what are you focusing on next? It's impacted my life in creating a stability that I never really had. Both, I think, you know, maybe from a responsibility standpoint and from a financial standpoint, it's really easy to lose money in things, paper assets specifically. And one of the things I found with real estate is it's so incredibly durable. And as long as you treat your properties well and you treat your customers well, which is your tenants, it's hard to lose money. And I think that it has created a stability and a consistency in my life that is irreplaceable. And what are you guys looking forward to and most excited about on your next milestone, your next path? Yeah, I have to tell you, I said earlier that we had shifted towards this model of helping connect passive investors with active operators. And I think working with passive investors and helping show them how to underwrite, how to look at operators, how to understand um, the odds that their money is returned to them in a timely fashion, hopefully with some friends, is so incredibly rewarding to us. And we just closed a fund today that you know we had a, a several new investors, which was really exciting. And I think I just look forward to growing that network of people that ultimately become close friends. You know, I think when you invest together and you you hold people accountable together and you analyze together, it creates a bond that is a little bit different than anything else. It's a little bit like you know maybe playing an organized sport where you have something that is difficult to replicate. So I think we just look forward to growing that, growing closer to our investors and um, hopefully finding some new friends. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that because what is one of the most difficult topics to talk about? It's finances and money. Yes, it is. And so to be able to talk to someone, another individual on that level, it really does create that bond, that like um, camaraderie that you guys are looking to achieve the same types of goals and it brings the relationship to a whole nother level. It really does. And yeah, thank you for saying that because I think that's something that I've always craved is the ability to talk about specifically finances and we're really comfortable doing it. And maybe that's why we really like working with investors because it is intimate. It is something that 
you have to have a, an enormous level of trust with one another to do it and um, a, a very high level in, of integrity. And, you know, we just really crave that in our relationship. So I, I completely agree with you. So Isaac, what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I think it is that single family houses are really hard <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, there are a lot of things that you can learn in smaller deals that are good, but that you should learn the ropes and you should try to go bigger sooner to really find the advantages that real estate and other assets can offer you. It doesn't take that much. Longer. I will say, I think it's harder to do big deals compared to small deals. A lot of people disagree with that. I think it is harder. It's more complex. There's more money on the line. But I think I would have gone bigger sooner if I had to go back and think about what I've learned there. So yeah, and that maybe and just buy irreplaceable property that always is going to retain a lot of its value no matter what the, the world is doing at that moment in time. And what makes a real estate investor successful in your opinion? Durability. Success in real estate is based on not overpaying for the future stream of cash flows because that's all wealth is, is the future stream of cash flows. Cycles can help you or they can hurt you, but the, well, they can't affect it. But the future stream of cash flows is what you're buying. So understanding that buying right, you make your money when you buy and buying durable property that's going to be here longer than you are is um, I think what makes a real estate investor successful. Awesome. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for coming on the show. And for our listeners out there who are really interested in learning more about you, your background, your story, your UR brand, where's the best place that they can go? Uh, yeah, there's a couple places. You can go to our website, which is apeoplebrand.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, Isaac C. Bennett, where you can read all my latest uh, useless tweets. <laughs> Well, Isaac, you are fantastic. And oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. You are great. <laughs> and it was such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much, Isaac. Thank you. It was really fun. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.